Red lorry, yellow lorry, busty ladies churning butter. Red lorry, yellow lorry. <laughs> Fluent Show, a podcast all about loving, living and learning languages. Hello listeners all around the world. Hello listeners in Europe and Australia. Today is a very special day and I'm joined here today in the Fluent Show arena <laughs> to present to you the Eurovision episode of the Fluent Show. A podcast where we talk about anything and everything interesting to do with learning another language. And my wonderful co-host, co-presenter, Bonsoir. She is from Milton Keynes. It's the one and only remarkable Lindsay Williams. Hello. Hey. Milton Keynes calling. <laughs> douze point. Douze point. Douze point à vous. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> welcome, <laughs> welcome back to the show, Lindsay, after our very dramatic um abandoned recording that we had the listeners don't know this but yeah. listeners we Lindsay is uh joining us halfway through the seasons and usually I've got obviously we've got more episodes with uh Lindsay in any given season at any given time but the last time we recorded we were interrupted by pure drama yeah Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So this was um, a few weeks ago. Lindsay had to interrupt recording because of a major um, incident that happened in her household. But everything is fine. We're on the way to getting better. And we decided last time we had a little segment about Eurovision, but this time we are so perfectly timed. So we're going to tell you all about the joy, the party, the glitter-fueled bonanza that is Eurovision Song Contest today. Before that, of course, I have got a sponsor announcement. And Lindsay, do you know what? This is exciting. This is a new sponsor, the first new one in, I think, 20 or 30 episodes. I think that deserves the Eurovision theme. Ooh. You don't have to play it. But. <laughs> any excuse, any excuse. <laughs> <Ahem>. <laughs> I'll bring it down a little bit and we'll just leave it on while I tell you about Clothesmaster. Clothesmaster is back as a Fluent Show sponsor. I'm so excited because learning with Clothesmaster is fun, is addictive and it is free and is available on mobile. It's available in your browser, on Android, on iOS, everywhere. The game is really simple. It's a clothes exercise, C-L-O-Z-E. You will see a sentence in your target language over 50 languages are available with something missing, something missing, and it's your challenge to fill in the blanks correctly. Clothesmaster uses high frequency word lists built into sentences from real life, so everything you learn is natural content, and it's always words that you're actually going to need. And best of all, Clothesmaster is available in over 50 five zero languages, and it works on, like I said, any device that you want to get it to work on. To support the Fluent Show today, head over to clothesmaster.com slash Fluent Show. I've filmed a bonus video because I really like doing that, showing you how I use the different apps. So you'll get some Clothesmaster tips from me and a special voucher if you want to try out their pro membership. But 
Closemaster is free if you don't get the pro membership. So it's free for everybody. You don't need a special code. The web address is C L O Z E or Z E for the Americans. So C L O Z E M A S T E R dot com slash fluent show. That's it. Welcome back, Closemaster. I haven't had them on show for a long, long time. And Lindsay, I know you're a fan because they've got one of your unusual target languages, right? Yeah, they have Guarani. They yeah. do. They've got Guarani, they've got Welsh, and they let you do all sorts of language pairings. So you could go, oh, wow, you, you probably could do study Guarani Welsh. Welsh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a meeting of minds. It's a magical <laughs> experience. <laughs> so head over to Closemaster with a Z dot com slash fluent show and you'll see how all of this works. And I can't wait to tell you more about Closemaster during their sponsorship run. Thank you so much to Clawsmaster for sponsoring the Fluent Show. Beep, beep. One more quick announcement. Just want to give a short shout out because if you don't just want to enjoy the Eurovision Song Contest, which runs from the 18th to the 22nd of May, you can also do something useful for your online teaching career if you've got one going or if you are an online teacher and head over to the Online Teacher Summit that is by Elena Mutunono and Elena and Lindsay and we've known her for ages and ages. She is very, very popular and she's been running this Online Teacher Summit for a long, long time. So head over to onlineteachersummit.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. The show notes for this episode are at fluent.show slash 215. And that is it for all of my announcements. And now, it's time for the main event of the evening. Nous, nous sommes arrivés. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I, read, I read that you have to do, that Eurovision is, in, uh, is presented in French and in English. So I'm trying to yes. do it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't yes. prepare to do this in French and in English. Um, mais, uh, l'Eurovision, le, le concours... Eurovision de la Chanson, cette année, euh, est arrivé à Rotterdam, aux Pays-Bas. Et, what, what, how do I say it's happening? <laughs> I really oh, didn't prepare ça. for this. <laughs> le, 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 le date, c'est... Le, les dates, c'est... <laughs> les dates, ils sont... C'est le, le 18, 20 et 22 mars à 9h euh, le... 9 heures euro européennes, 9 heures en France, 9 heures à Berlin, etc. Um, et le grand final, ça, c'est la date, c'est um, le 22 mai. Oh my God, that was bad, bad French. I'm going to read you the sentence in English as well, in <laughs> which I actually prepared. This year's Eurovision Song Contest is taking place in Rotterdam on the 18th, 20th and 22nd May at 9 p.m., Central European Summer Time, with the big final taking place on the 22nd of May. And like I said, today's episode, we're bringing you all the love of glitter, lasers, uh, drinking games, overly dramatic performances. Super happy special episode celebrating all things Eurovision. Lindsay, how do you feel about the Eurovision Song Contest? I'm a fan. I like it a lot. I really do. I think especially this year like I don't know if it's because obviously last year it didn't happen I think for the first time ever um well not ever but like since <laughs> it started right and I don't know if it's because there's that extra gap 
that there's like a Eurovision shaped hole that didn't get filled last oh, year. But yeah, yeah, true. it's um this year, like YouTube seems to have gone all out in its algorithm in showing me Eurovision videos. <laughs> That's amazing. Now <laughs> In today's episode, <laughs> my YouTube hasn't done that, but then I never look at YouTube. Hmm, okay, if I went on YouTube, uh, maybe I would get a lot more Eurovision videos. Okay, so in today's episode, I will talk you through a little bit of the history of Eurovision and singing non-English songs to give you a sense. Maybe, I know may, most of our North American listeners, I did a little question survey in my Facebook group. You do sort of know what the Eurovision Song Contest is. They keep referring to it as ESC, which amuses me because none of us call it ESC ever, but the Eurovision mm. Song Contest. So I'll give you a quick overview of the history of Eurovision and singing non-English songs, so languages at Eurovision. And I've got this amazing description of how everything works. So we've got all that. And then Lindsay will give us a preview of what's on this year. Yeah, you up for that, Lindsay? I am ready. I've got oh, my notes. She's got all the notes. Then we'll tell you a little bit more about what we love about Eurovision. And I have got, at the end of today's episode, I've I've done my... Part round. Lindsay, do you have anything about the lesson exchanges? Lesson ex- You mean the, the number four on the list? Number four on the our talking list? points. I do. Ooh. I do. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I didn't want to put any pressure on you. But, so we've got <laughs> more talking points. So we do have some ideas because we're in teaching season, because we're a language learning podcast and all that stuff. So we, we do have a little bit where we don't just tell you about the amazingness of Verka Sadochka. We have got some solid language learning material provided by Lindsay. And then we have got the best of all the things provided by me. A quiz. <laughs> so I've got a Eurovision Ooh. quiz going. Do you think we want to do it at the end or should I just sprinkle it in throughout the episode? Oh, how many questions? Uh, I've got seven questions. Do it at the end. Okay. Give me okay. time to prepare. That's it. Okay. And maybe if you are listening, you will have a better chance of getting the answers at the end of today's episode. So let me go right in and tell you a little bit about the history of Eurovision. The Eurovision Song Contest is a song contest, but it's also a little bit like the Football World Cup or the the Super Bowl. It is, it is, uh, there are competing countries and each country is represented by a musical act performing an original song. So the song can't, you can't just come in and be like, all right, we're going to do a cover version of Let It Be. No, it must be an original song, which has never been published before. The total number of competing countries this year is 39. Wow. The first ever Eurovision Song Contest took place on the 24th of May, 1956. So it's been running forever and ever and ever when just seven countries took part in the first one. Since then, there have been 64 contests, all broadcast live. And this is amazing. It's broadcast live across every participating nation. 2020 is the only year since the inception of the Eurovision Song Contest that the contest was not held live. Obviously, we all know why the reason is COVID. It was inspired, this is, I didn't know this before, by an Italian song contest. Lindsay, did you know? I did not. Ah, no, go on. It's inspired by the Sanremo Music Festival, which oh, I think okay. is still running, right? Interesting. I just thought it was a post-World War II Europe has won kind of vibe. I mean, it, obviously, you. <laughs> I was thinking about this and I thought, well, they wouldn't have started it 
during the war, <laughs> I guess. But um, certainly, yes, it's a it's a sort of I do think that post war and in the fifties, we've got this feeling of in Europe, all that collaboration between countries. Mm. And to celebrate that. But it was, in fact, also designed to test what could be done with early live TV technology. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So this is a broadcasting. It truly is a broadcasting event. It might have never been held and might have never been practical to hold the Eurovision Song Contest with all these participating countries without live TV. So live TV is is integral to the Eurovision Song Contest. And it's it's that experience of watching it at home. Every year, 200 million people tune in. What? To enjoy wow. an evening of music, drama, and calls to every single European capital and Canberra in Australia <laughs> to hear the country's <laughs> score. Which brings me to how it works. So, Lindsay, I've got the rules here uh, explaining how the Eurovision Song Contest works because if you've never watched it before, it's mind-boggling, right? Yes, and there are rules. And you you touched upon not doing cover versions because mm-hmm. I think one of the things that comes up a lot, and I think this is in the rules, maybe you'll cover this, is people just say, well, why doesn't the UK just send Adele for Coldplay? And I don't think we can because I think there's there's rules about how many records they can have sold and stuff like that, right? Oh, I have not I have not found this actually. Oh, maybe that's a myth. Maybe that is I mean that would explain a lot about the UK's kind of entries and the quality yeah. and stuff. Um generally there is the from what the Eurovision.tv website says is every country selects its entry. So the entry is selected and you can do it in a with a jury or you can select it with a live with um, like a call in show, a sort of selection, little national song contest, you know, where people vote in. It, it kind of doesn't matter. And it did say you can send your number one star or you can send fresh talent, you know, that people have oh. never heard from before. So in theory and think i mean i don't know what the star status was but certainly if we remember celine dion has performed at the eurovision song yeah. contest as an entrant um and we've got we've got flow rider this year more about that soon <laughs> so it, it, <laughs> as far as i'm aware no restriction on how many records they could have sold the uk t- could t- totally send adele the question is would adele do it well yeah that's that's the yeah maybe that's what it comes down to <laughs> yes because again we'll She's get busy. to this later eurovision has its own flavor it has its own reputation and um even though it's a song contest i don't think it is necessarily the contest for the best song <laughs> if you Not know always. what i mean no <laughs> 2017 was an exception who won in 2017 I don't think you liked it. Was Portugal. That a, oh, the Portuguese guy. Yeah, I mean, that, that was, yes. <laughs> there was there was a guy. I, I don't know. I'm in it for the drama. Now, here's how it works. Yeah. Each participating broadcaster that represents their country. So it's the broadcaster. Again, this is a, it's, it's, this, it's created by the European Broadcasting Union and broadcasters play a huge part of this. Each participating broadcaster that represents their country so, for example, the BBC represents the UK, chooses their performer. Now, here's a cool rule. Maximum six people. Yes. And song, I did know that rule. Which is a ma- allowed a maximum of three minutes because at some point in the 50s, I believe it was Italy, uh, came up with an entry that was like six and a half minutes long and everybody went, okay, no, nope, nope, we're not having that. So since then... <laughs> 
<laughs> since then, um, the maximum of three minutes has been introduced. The winner of the Eurovision Song Contest will be chosen through two semi-finals and a grand final. And there are 26 countries that can get into the final. So I said earlier, 39 countries competing this year. Um, there is a bit of a pre-selection and then the grand final. It's it's a four-hour broadcast with 26 countries performing. So you still get plenty of bang for your buck. Each act must sing live. However, no live instruments are allowed. That, I always think, is a weird rule. It's been the case i believe since the early 2000s so previously oh. and if you watch old performances you will see the full orchestra there so i sent oh. i sent Lindsay so the video lordy lordy didn't perform there lordy wasn't live <laughs> they sang live you must sing live oh, that's disappointing lordy and Lindsay doesn't mean lord the new zealand um artist <laughs> No. <laughs> Lindsay means Lordy, the people from Finland who dressed up as monsters and did a metal track, which was amazing. Okay. <laughs> and on the side of this, the performer can have any nationality. So the performer does not have to have the nationality of the country that they are representing. For example, oh. we have had Celine Dion, who is Canadian, representing a country at the Eurovision Song Contest. And we've also had Gina G. Gina G, Australian. Classic yeah. UK entry. She was Australian. That's it. Now, also, after all the songs have been performed, all 26 of them, each country will give two sets of 1 to 12 points. Two sets. One set given by a jury of five music industry professionals and one set given by the viewers at home. And this system, this whole points giving system, has changed countless times. I, I will tell you 20 times maybe over the years. The reason for that obviously being that so many reasons. So the idea of involving your audience and introducing what they call televoting, you know, back in the 80s, it was that's when it was first introduced. Super exciting. You can ring in for your favorite. Wow, televoting. Look at this technology. That's already brilliant. And then as more and more countries came in, more and more controversies came in about what's considered political voting or voting for a favourite just because of the affinity of your country. So the Scandinavian nations might always vote for each other. The 12 points from Norway always started to, started to go to Sweden. The 12 points from Sweden went to Norway. It took excitement out of it. It disappointed the audience to a certain extent. It made people feel like it's not about the merit of the song. I mean, <laughs> but <laughs> it certainly added to the controversy. So a jury was brought in, but then for a while it was just jury and people didn't like that either. So right now we're on a mixed set, half um, one set of points given by a jury of five music industry professionals and the other set of points given by the viewers of home. In the grand final. I like that. Yeah, I it, like that mix. It makes it makes it feel mm. somewhat in balance because I remember maybe a decade ago we did have okay Poland. Oh, our top ten, our ten points go to the Czech Republic. Our twelve points go to Slovakia. Hey Slovakia! Oh, our twelve points go to Poland. And it was a little bit. It took a little bit of the buzz out of the yeah two hour long second section of the live broadcast, which really needs a bit of buzz. It already doesn't have that much buzz, except for people saying 12 points and nil points, which is, which is the only thing. Okay, in the grand final, the, as I mentioned it, four-hour broadcast, this is really the one when people talk about Eurovision Song Contest, mostly 
what they're sitting down to watch is the grand final. The juries and the viewers from all participating countries vote again, of course, after all the finalists have performed. Once the voting window has closed, which used to be from the start of the first performance, but now currently is just 15 minutes long at the end of all performances, the presenters will call upon spokespersons in all participating countries. Usually what happens is there's an awful lot of, um, well, these days, Zoom calls, basically, <laughs> to... To the capitals of every single nation, and then they ask them to reveal their jury points live on air. And next, all of the viewers' points will be added up, revealed from the lowest to the highest. So the viewers' points aren't given nationally, they all just reel together, which culminates into a climax. This is from their website that will eventually reveal the winner of the 64th, that's what it is this year, Eurovision Song Contest. That's a good thing as well. I think that's improved in recent years because it did get very long and it did also get to the point that it's like halfway through the voting, oh, well, they've won. So what's the point in watching the rest, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Whereas yeah, now this, the this viewer vote can, everything can change right yeah. at the end. It is a little bit of anticipation, a little bit of excitement. So as you can tell listeners, if you've never watched this before, you can tell from how we're talking about it, this swings between super boring <laughs> and the most exciting thing you've ever watched at the end what happens when you've won is you perform again and you get a glass microphone trophy to take home you get a trophy the winning country then is traditionally given the honor and expense of hosting the next eurovision song contest and that is that that's how eurovision song contest works now would you like me to give you a quick overview of languages at the Eurovision Song Contest? Yeah, okay. In the history of Eurovision. Yeah, I mean, we're a continent Ooh. with, what, 260, 2,500,000? 2, Lord knows, didn't look it up. Hard to say what's a language. So we're a, con we're a continent, though, with many, 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 many hundreds <laughs> of languages. So this must be the most linguistically diverse event that you could ever possibly experience. Sorda. And I will quote, this is, I think this was so amazingly written. I, I got this from Newsround, which is a BBC... Love Newsround. BBC Kids Underrated. News, right? Underrated source of news. I feel like that's where we should all get our news from. We'd all be so much happier. <laughs> so Newsround had the question, it has like an explainer article. I've linked everything in the show notes, fluent.show slash 215. So lots and lots of links there. It had this explainer article and one of the headlines was, is the UK any good? And the answer mm. is as follows. The UK has come second 15 times before and won the contest five times. Sounds good so far, right? In 1999, acts no longer had to sing in their national language, so many countries began singing in English. Since then, the UK has done pretty badly, finishing last in 2003, 2008 and 2010. I didn't realise the correlation between the UK doing badly and the language rule change. Mm, there's That's something really interesting. There's something interesting. to it. Yes. I thought people didn't like us. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> bearing, I mean, bearing in mind, okay, so some of the UK entries just have been abysmal. Um, not the only ones. Every year there's a few clangers and I think we all tune in for the really bad ones as much as we do for the really, really good ones. And this, however, does show that 
there is there is a power and we we've often talked about this right there is an actual purchasing power in a way to singing in english your country will do or used to be um that your country will sing in English and more people understand the lyrics. Maybe more people feel like mm. it's a little familiar. Maybe they don't t tune out quite as much. And if you're combining that, especially maybe with the televoting and it's an entirely viewer um, determined mm. thing and it sounds like what you're hearing on the radio. Um, certainly, you know, if I think of coming up in Germany, I can see what that, I can see where this comes from. I can see how it's not just the UK; it's also Ireland. You and has, Malta has won it amazingly often. Yeah, Malta not won as much. Um, no, but yeah, I don't think they've won at all. But um, they are they have English, I think, right? That's as it. an official language. That's it. Oh yeah, I'll get I'll get to more official language or like the the history of all these language back and forth because there's a bit of back and forth. But I thought this was interesting as well that really the UK, for certainly if we take it as a sort of example of the the lingua franca advantage, when it had the advantage, it actually did better. And mm. now it doesn't anymore because now currently we're in a in a space where any country can sing in any language. Um, it, it It's just not the case anymore. And that, I think that's quite interesting. And that's something to consider and shows us really about the status of English in the world. Kirsten, can I share with you a bit of a dream of mine? A bit of a dream of yours. It's to have the UK send a song not in English. Oh, yes. Not yes. necessarily in the fact of, oh, we'd win. Because as you've just said, there's a big English advantage. Mm, there really is. But I just think it would be so powerful to just showcase like, actually, there's more to us over here. We've got Welsh, we've got Scottish Gaelic, we've got BSL, we've got, you know, Manx, Cornish, et cetera, et cetera. There's like so much more that I think we can offer. I think that would be really cool. I wonder whether you'd be, you would ever be able to enter a BSL track because the rules state that mm. it mustn't be instrumental, but you could hire a singer to just kind of vocalize while signing happens. So then technically you've got vocally yeah. produced things get every language that's not english up there oh, on yeah. a stage <gasps> in a one three minute song oh yes okay that is a dream i'm signed up for that would be amazing like it's my dream. one line welsh one line cornish one line shelter one line irish gallic one line scottish gallic scots I, uh, that would be amazing that would be awesome we can live the dream we can carry the fire Lindsay. i think we can we'll just enter Sod it. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. The reason we could enter something like this in, in mind you, I guess they're all, are they all official languages? Well, what's an that. official language? That's a yeah. whole different podcast. Yeah. The, the concept these days of the official language is, is kind of being earmarked for its inherent oppressiveness anyway. So ooh, it's a difficult hot potato. I still don't have a hot potato jingle. It's a hot potato. Mm -hmm. Hot potato. <laughs> okay, I want to introduce you a little bit to the craziness of the language rule and where this whole thing came from. Now, in fact, the language rule has been changed quite a few times. And when the Eurovision Song Contest started, there wasn't one. At first, there were no language rules, no language restrictions until 
Guess who scandalized Eurovision by sending a performer who sang in English? ABBA? It was Sweden. That? It was before ABBA. Was it Sweden? Yes. <laughs> yes, way, way, way before. But it was totally, oi, Sweden, it was you. And then in 19, that was 1965. So in 66, the official rule was brought in to say countries must perform in, speech marks, an official language of the country. This rule was then abandoned hmm. in 73. So everybody could sing in everything again. And then 77, they brought it back. So this is kind of back and forth a little bit. And then in 1999, we opened it up again. <laughs> so we had the rule, we had it, we didn't have, we had it, we didn't have it. I remember when I was growing up, we did watch the Eurovision Song Contest in my family. Obviously I'm from Germany and all of the German performers would always sing in German. But then in 1977, um, that that's from 1977, but then in 99, so middle of my teenage years, the rule was abandoned again. And currently, entries may currently be performed in any language, and this is fun, natural or constructed. Aha! Yes, <laughs> and apparently, now th this I got from Wikipedia again. Show notes fluent.show/slash two fifteen. Um, Wikipedia didn't give me like this big directory of songs in actual constructed languages, but apparently there have There's been a couple. Yes, there've been songs in constructed mm. languages. Mm. So Paige and David Peterson, come on in, do as a composition. That'd be amazing. <laughs> yes, and I think as well one of the big ones that you'll definitely know is Ukraine in two thousand seven with what yes so so the lyrics of that song mm -hmm. i think are english german ukrainian maybe russian as well but then also like they said that that bit was in mongolian oh right. which and that it meant i can't remember what they said it meant but actually it's not it's not true they made it up <laughs> i think it's just a made up language made a bit of language and mm. i mean that is a certainly a multilingual multi it's just spectacular. That is a spectacular track. I wish we could play it on the podcast, but alas, because of music rights, even though I emailed the European Broadcasting Union and asked what? if we would be allowed. Yeah, I never got a reply. <laughs> We're not that important. So sadly can't play you that, but guess what you're going to find? <laughs> guess what you're going to find in the show notes? I'll definitely put a video to that. Lasha Tumbai song. Now... <laughs> The final fact that I have about languages at Eurovision is that the actual contest always has to be presented in English and in French, et en français. Um, so one of the presenters has to be a French speaker. Yeah, I find that really interesting as well. Like there's something very, like a bit of a, almost like a colonial hang up, it feels. I know that that's not what it is. I know that it's like, because they're widely spoken, widely understood, English and French in Europe. But it does feel a bit, ooh, you think why not because the language? French? Yeah. I think like, why not like English and the host language, the, the, mm, the host, mm -hmm. the language of the host country, you know? I find that interesting. That's interesting. Not that I've got anything against French, I should add. No, I mean, if we went for widely spoken, we could like we could quite easily throw German in there, you German, know, while we're in right? Europe, yeah, etc. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I wonder if it's because when Eurovision first started, it probably had like Luxembourg, Belgium, France in it. Yeah, I think that's what I mean. It probably stems from something like that, and I'm just overthinking it. But yeah, mm, I mean, 
you know you say colonialism but this sort of like it does come a lot of this does come out of colonialism slash you know the the injustices and inequality in the world so there's always whenever we talk about this there's always the weight of particular languages that are just overly dominant just kind of presides over this and you know not excusing german i think if if there hadn't been world wars etc germany would have german would be out, up there Mm. <laughs> or to say it in the words of many people that I never enjoy hearing, we'd all be speaking German now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe German, English and French. Who knows? Um, so, L Lindsay, we we discussed sort of about the, the weight of English and the, it makes sense, right, that listeners, that listeners, it makes sense that performers get to perform in any language of their choosing in order to try and yeah. level the playing field. Um, but for us as language lovers, this is, I, I certainly think this is quite, a, in a way, it's a sad state of affairs, isn't it? It does sometimes feel like a shame. Um, but I think also, and I'll talk a little bit about what's happening this year. There are a lot of examples in, in recent years, not just this year, where mm -hmm that has been used as an advantage. So perhaps maybe the majority of a song is sung in English. And then there's little aspects, little lines that are in other languages that are maybe in the language of the performer or of the country they're representing that then just add something to it. So it's almost like English becomes this base layer, almost like an instrument in itself. And then it is a chance then to showcase these these aspects that then stand out and become almost more symbolic, even if they're not the whole song. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. This is something now that we've had the any language rule going for quite a while and perhaps also with the rise of, you know, online culture and, and globalization and all that stuff, it does feel like at least in the last 10, 15 years, code switching in songs has become mm. so much more prominent and has been used creatively. So I like your take on that. I like your perspective on it because it does feel, um, I'm linking show notes, people, guess where, fluent.show slash 215. Um, I'm linking back to an article that I wrote when I had, I had opinions and I was quite cross. I think this is from 2013, a blog article I wrote about Eurovision. They're just failing us. This really isn't serving anybody. And there was a trend to more and more and more English. And then we had Salvador Sobral. That's his name, right? The oh, Portuguese yeah. guy. Yeah. He yeah. won with a song that Lindsay really likes. Um, <laughs> I think it's mediocre as an actual musical, but hey. No. <laughs> However, he won with a song in Portuguese that was actually quite... Mm, stripped down you know it wasn't the whole laser performance it was like me yeah. and my piano um all very cutesy and that I feel like since then that's been three now four years ago the tide is turned and people have felt more confident about bringing their own national languages back into Eurovision so we're actually in a really interesting space right now with yeah. more songs and that brings us nicely to what's on this year Yeah, I just want to add to that because that's probably a really good marker as well. Because you know what else happened in 2017? Globally, beyond Eurovision, Despacito, right? <gasps> And so this, this wider, effect. right, this wider rise of um, like reggaeton being in many cases bilingual, even to tiny extents of, of English being thrown into the Spanish. And then you've got K-pop and then all of like the, the, the way that streaming works and how that can 
give you access to so much more. I feel like that has also perhaps been a wider shift in the more global culture of, of music that is perhaps having an effect on Eurovision and those songs that are bringing their own bit of flavor and bit of language, which is quite cool and exciting. I'd love to see, well, we will see how this evolves and how things change going forward. Um, okay, mm. this year. So in terms of language, actually, first of all, I want to give a little shout out to the UK. James Newman is our guy this year and last year I would have been. We're doing all right. I'm not going to lie. One of the best songs we've had, in fact, the best song we've had in, and I was looking over the entries trying to decide since when. Mm, I don't even think the blue song was that good. Maybe since like 1998. What is the I blue think this song? Is, oh, Blue did Eurovision in oh, yes, 2011. Blue the boy band. Yeah, Blue okay, the Boy Band. Yes. Um, I think this is our best song since 1998 and I hope that that is reflected in the results. Let me just give me just a quick let me catch up here if I understand it correctly so obviously last year we were denied a live event the live actual live Eurovision event with all the voting and all that you know all the excitement all the performers did sort of perform you could kind of watch them all on YouTube in one evening and this year Oh, no, actually, I think it was broadcast. So anyway, this year, we're back to the, the event, the event spectacular. The performers who would have entered last year all entered this year if it is their choice, but they mustn't enter the same song. Am I caught up correctly? That's pretty much it. Okay. So there's a lot, of, a lot of the same acts have come back from 2020, the year mm -hmm. original that never was. Um, <laughs> But then a lot have also changed. So a big one, for example, is Russia. Um, so Russia was this band called Little Big, which I think were quite big oh, even before. Them. You like that song? Yeah, Ashley loves that song. It's on my running playlist. It's, it's, it was, it it's was a banger. In the, yeah, he, they, the, his old class loved Little Big. They would just listen to Little Big songs all day. Um, and so they've, they're not back. Um, but there's, there's, so there's lots of interesting changes. I think individually in countries it's been they've all handled this in different ways, whether they've had an, another um, kind of internal contest to choose a different act or whether the act even wanted to come back in the first place. But there's a lot of the same. So it's very interesting this year. Um, mm. Also want to give a shout out to Finland and Italy, just bringing the rock. Like now I'm disappointed now that they won't be playing their instruments, but there's some, I like it when there's a rock song with Eurovision because that always feels so counter- Eurovision. It always feels so like an anarchy, anarchic, anarchic, anarchic. That'll do. Yes. That'll do. Oh, I've got another rule change. The, the, the 2020 rule change. There's one almost every year. You know what this year's rule change is? Go on. To make it COVID safer, this is the first time that pre recorded backing vocals are allowed. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. so I see how that affects the performances because maybe mm. you can have more dancers. Yeah, interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so, oh, and of course, San Marino. Lovely, lovely San Marino. The last country I visited, Flowrider. Right. So they're just sending Flowrider? No. So they're sending someone called Senhit, who is Italian, I think from Bologna, um, and is doing the song was the entry for last year. Mm -hmm. This year, though, different song has brought Flowrider into it. 
So that's going to be fun. <laughs> I'm excited to see if Flowrider is going to be there. If it's COVID safe, Flowrider will be at Eurovision. Oh my gosh, um, that's really fun. And yeah, I think this gives us um, an important perspective. Like the fact that Flow, that we talked earlier about Adele, Adele, would she, wouldn't she? Um, and Blue, the boy band, that that was quite unusual. It's important to point out that Eurovision music style is not pop music as such. It sort of crosses over, or it, actually Eurovision crosses a huge range of styles, but it kind of isn't really pop music, right? The Eurovision tracks don't usually like make the big radio and play and stuff. And I would go as far as saying Eurovision just isn't cool. But I think that, again, I think that's turning in recent years. I think mm, it's becoming, maybe possibly. it's just the algorithm. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> okay. I wanted to also talk this year about um, the languages. So yeah. you've shared some of the rules. This year, what do you think songs that are entirely in English, how many out of the 39 out entries? Of the th ooh. How many are entirely in English? Entirely in English. So without like, so if somebody does like, English, 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 English. Buongiorno! English, English, English. That doesn't count as all English, yeah? No. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, we have the UK. They're definitely going to send one. We've got Ireland. They're definitely going to send one in all English. All we'll I be can here imagine. a long time. Sorry? I'll just give you that. We'll be here a long time if you literally count every country. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to think who am I dead? Be? Okay. I know 2017, it was... It was awful because there was there was only about seven six or seven other ones and now the tide has turned so let me say if we're excited about it do we have 10 in just english okay it's not that exciting unfortunately oh. 21 <laughs> i was being very optimistic then so just over half so 21 out of the 39 nice. are completely english but i don't think that's too bad i no. think that leaves us with 18 in either in other languages completely or with a mix, mm -hmm. mostly with English being part of that mix, right? So completely not in English, as far as I know, from as many times as I can listen to them as is bearable. Um, Albania in Albanian, Denmark in Danish. This is the first time that Denmark has sent a full song in Danish since 1997. Amazing. Which I feel is quite, quite significant, even though the song is terrible. Um, France in French, mm -hmm. as always. Comme toujours. Um, Italy in Italian. Russia in Russian, which I think is the first time in about a decade that Russia have sent a Russian song, which is pretty cool. And it's That's a exciting. good song. I'm, I'm back in Russia. I like their song this year. Um, Serbia is in Serbian, but with this kind of Spanish flavor. And they did the same last year. It's the same band as the 2020. Um, I think the band's called Hurricane. Okay. I can't, yeah. remember, I can't this, remember last year. Go on. Was this the lady where there's lots of fires went off and she kind of sounded like Shakira? Uh, no, this is a band. Okay. I think there's like three a girl of band. them. A girl band. Mm -hmm. And it's a bit like, like the song, for example, is called Loco Loco. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's kind of using Spanish appreciation, appropriation. We can, that's another show. That's um, and then Spain is in Spanish. Switzerland is in French. Ukraine is in Ukrainian, which I believe is the first time since Ukrainian was part of Verka Saduchka, 2007. Mm -hmm. And then with the partly in different languages, we've got Croatia, which is uh, Croatian and English. That's a mixed one. The German entry, have you heard the German entry 
Kirsten? Oh, I tried to. German? I usually try to stay away from the German entry. Oh, okay. It doesn't make me feel particularly excited. Keeps, it's some guy right. with a J name. What's the name? Keep staying away from it. Oh. Keep staying away. It's a bit wild. So the song <laughs> is in English, but there are a couple of lines spoken in German. Oh, nice. If okay. If we're really going to include everything, um, Malta is an interesting one. It's in, songs in English. But the title and like the key line of the chorus is in French. Je me casse. That I think is still the favorite to win, which is nice because Malta haven't won, but not my favorite song. Um, and then with Azerbaijan, Czechia slash Czech Republic and Israel, they've all got bits of Azerbaijani, Czech and Hebrew, like one line or a few words. Cyprus, mostly in English. And then again, with the Spanishness, this kind of Spanish mm. flavor, talking about tacos and tamales and falling in love with El Diablo. It's all a bit much, but it's probably going to do quite well. So there's some interesting, just the, the ones as well that have this flavor of language, I think is, is worth, worth a mention. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I think it's interesting to pick up on the Spanish trend as well. So even though, because yeah. it, it feels kind of, doesn't it feel kind of sort of, let's say middle of last century to have English and French. And I think if you were doing it now, inventing the show now, you'd almost, mm, glo from a global perspective, Spanish is just a much more likely language to be your second language if you're going to do anything in two languages. Yeah. I mean, I know global perspective. I'm I'm very much like not acknowledging um, the existence of Mandarin Chinese by saying that. So actually it would be maybe Mandarin Chinese, but that's sort of more um, maybe in its own world due to due to how the internet works and due to, you know, China and the internet and all blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, hot potato. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So anyway, it feels quite modern to me. It's trying, is what I'm trying to get to. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. And we, we mentioned as well, like on that sort of global musical cultural trend of the the kind of Despacito effect mm -hmm, and everything mm -hmm. that comes from that. And there's waves, you know, of like as I was growing up and like I got into Spanish, learning Spanish because of Shakira. And that mm -hmm. whole wave, Shakira wouldn't have sung an English album if I don't think there wasn't that wave beforehand of like Jennifer Lopez, Ricky Martin, mm. um, you know, at that time before them, Selena, like, yeah, like just making, you know, making that path. And I feel like we're in this second kind of epoch of that sort of, uh, like Latin flavor, if you, if you want to call it what it was called at the time. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. it's interesting that there's two songs that have opted to, go down that kind of like woo spanish flavor and i mean within europe within europe like spain is our most is one of our most yes. points it's a very very popular holiday destination so if you're going to do a song and you're trying to get to the kind of feel good summer vibes you also kind of it's an easy place to reach for party atmosphere yeah and it's a i think it's a very different um a very different kind of attitude maybe you could say towards spanish here versus in maybe the us and the yes. americas yes you know so i think that's important to remember as well as mm -hmm. as as much as it might be influenced by a global musical trend there's also like you say that idea of spanish and spain as being the 
the holiday destination for for lots of of people yeah this is this is brings me actually to um the our kind of third po- talking point which was what we love about eurovision and you know i made some notes and then i kind of thought about it and i thought the thing about eurovision in culture in popular culture in our culture it's the way it brings together and gives the same amount of time for so many nations across Europe and Australia. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we keep saying this, like for all of you who don't know, Australia takes part in the Eurovision Song Contest because reasons. We don't know why. Um, but, you know, then the interpretation of Europe goes way, way beyond like what the European Union might look like, which already has 20 now only 26 um, member countries, but you've also got Israel included in the European Song Contest. It goes all the way to Azerbaijan. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if one day we've got Mongolia entering and obviously Russia, massive geographic spread. So really the, the Eurovision Song Contest to me, it's sort of this, it's like a celebration of the entirety of Europe and how it expresses itself is this madness and drama i just love all the drama the incredibly elaborate stage shows the political friendships the rivalries between the countries sometimes it's it's really well done sometimes it's ludicrous there was a time when a presenter um in the small talk section asked one of the performers from ukraine if crimea is a part of ukraine which is just awful (laughs) (laughs) but but Overall, you know, that's Europe. That's our continent. And and the way it takes, even with, with something like you say, the sort of the despacito effects, it takes all this, everything global, because it takes K-pop and, and it just kind of churns it all around and gives it this European viewpoint lens that isn't UK, you know, isn't this just UK dominant, America dominant. It is, you know, you, you get the, the, the Polish butter churning maidens, you get the mm. Russian dancing grannies, you get Verka Seduczka. And for all of you who don't know, Verka Seduczka is um, not like, I, I don't want to, it's, it's a Russian, I love it's how a much Ukrainian. I mean, I would leave it there. Just how much you're struggling to describe Verka Seduczka <laughs> is Verka Seduczka, right? Like, that's it. You just got to Google. You've it's just got to like enjoy. It's a Ukrainian person who wears enjoy. a lot of silver and has a star on on their head, and it's just magical. It's it's truly just the craziness, you know, the the absolute flamboyance. I just love it so 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 much, and this ritual as well. Of you know, I have grown up with spending about three hours, four hours watching international telethons with Latvia and Norway and Malta and everywhere, so they can give their points. There's just I just love it so much, but I think I love that it's, it really feels like at the end of an evening, I can kind of come away and I'll be like, yeah, that's sort of me. That's sort of us. Maybe because yeah. I'm, I'm cross European. I don't know. No, I, I love it too. Like for a lot of those same reasons. And I think that there is something that there's some real joy in an event like this that connects essentially a continent and wider through something that isn't sport because sport plays that role so frequently Mm. like if you think about the olympics and like the euro 2020 whatever it is they're calling it now and the world cup like all of these things that are 
generally wider, generally global, but even if they're more localized and, and European, it still tends to be sport that you find that level of unity. And um, and I love as well what you said about how it's not kind of, although it's English language dominant, it's not like UK dominant or or even like like they're called the big five like uk france germany spain and italy which pay i think for a lot of yeah <laughs> a lot of it they don't and have to participate in the semi-finals win. they're automatically in the final automatically in because they contribute we, the most to the broadcasting union yeah yeah but we rarely win we're like mm-hmm. like and i kind of love that <laughs> just that, as bad as everyone else Yeah, like, because it isn't just a case of like, oh, yeah, same old winner, which I guess back in the day when there were like seven countries, it Mm. would have been for a long time, right? And you don't know who's going to win Eurovision. And we're at this point, you mentioned Portugal 2017, where Portugal, I think that was their first ever win. And Mm. I feel like Malta this year, if Malta win, I think it's their first ever win. It's just so wonderfully diverse and I think that was their slogan a few years ago celebrating diversity and I would argue as well that it's celebrating diversity but also celebrating inclusion you know it's so so sort of wonderful in that respect of like everyone is invited yes Eurovision is you know with, with the drama the glitter the lasers um it's it's every bit as it it holds its own in in gay culture i think with rupaul's drag race it is i mean it's so much more than that production values and stuff um but it is an inclusive event to and and very all gender expressions lots of that kind of culture eurovision is yeah yeah it's it's just it's a very inclusive event and i also wanted to just give a shout out to the fact that every now and then good music does make an appearance at Eurovision. Um, and it's where ABBA, you believe it or not, the, the you know, might have heard of the Swedish band ABBA. It's where they had their breakthrough because they performed Waterloo as a Eurovision Song Contest entry, I believe in 1979, and didn't win because the song Hallelujah won, which was an entry for Israel. Do you know Hallelujah by Milk and Honey? No, <gasps> no. This, in Germany, everybody knows this. Same as Genghis Khan, every German can instantly sing at <laughs> four in the morning. <laughs> hey, sing. So, um, Milka, it, it's a song that goes, Hallelujah, da, 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 Hallelujah, da, 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 da. I didn't look up no, the lyrics. No, I don't know. Uh, not known in the UK, but certainly in Germany. My mum can sing this, like a drop of a hat, my dad, absolutely. Mm. And one of the first song contests, I believe 1958, had the song Nel Blu Dipinto del Blu, which is better known as Volare. 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 Oh, cantare. Oh. I don't know that either. Oh, this is the part of the flute where I'm just a bad singer, I think. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so to to me, at least, maybe again, because I've grown up in a country that doesn't have English as its main language. So our radio play does have lots more other languages, particularly Italian. Germans love a bit of Italian. To me, these are absolute classics that I have, I've grown up with and they came out of the Eurovision Song Contest. Mm. I think, yeah, see, for me, there's a lot more recent ones mm-hmm. like um, Euphoria in 2012. How does that go? Um Euphoria forever to the end of time. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Big fringe. 
Um, <laughs> Soldi robbed in 2019. Oh, Soldi. Like, just so good. Tune. Um, yeah, like, there's there's a lot. And, and they always, like you say, go on my running playlist. <laughs> so, yeah. And this year in particular, more than ever, I think I've just listened to these songs over and over. Yeah. The, the good ones, at least. The ones that I think are good. <laughs> so, listeners, if you if we have you interested already, we, we haven't even finished the celebration episode of The Fluent Show yet. But don't forget to tune in on the 22nd of May. Look out for some proper power ballads because there's always a few... <laughs> <laughs> and definitely look up look out for the bops because they're gonna come the the you know the little jaunty tunes that you will be singing in your head and then the bizarreness and like i said i have put in the show notes show slash 215 uh which was the russian dancing grannies so it's just it. apparently um a song about baking cookies for when your grandchildren come round and then everybody has a party wait was that in russian it was in Russian, but then the chorus is everybody dance. Come on, oh, dance. Oh, okay. But the yeah. rest was in Russian, yes. Wow. And that's in fact, cool. the song Mi Słowanie, 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 sorry, my Polish, non existent, um, by it's actually Donatan and Cleo, um, or yeah. as I call them, the Polish butter churning maidens. That had some Polish in it. Yes. And it's it much did. worse than I remember it. So I put that in the show notes too. <laughs> um, well remembered for its performance of uh, Busty Ladies pretending to burn chutter on the stage. But churn? Burn chutter. Burn chutter. Okay. Busty. This is a tongue twister. Busty Ladies churning butter. <laughs> Red lorry, yellow lorry. Busty Ladies churning butter. Red lorry, yellow lorry. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, uh, Lindsay, how could we use Eurovision as a talking point? As a language learner, do you have any thoughts on how we can use it? Trying to be serious. Busted yes, language, but I to- do. <laughs> Except for making up tongue twisters. All right. <laughs> take us, take this into some, some seriousness here. <laughs> Bring okay. Substance. So, first of all, yeah. if you are lucky enough to be learning a language that does have a song in that language this year, then you can dig into that. Boom, you found yourself a new favorite. Have a look on uh, things like Lyrics Translate, the app Lyrics Training, I think that's the name of it. Um, yes. Because they, they often have Eurovision songs being posted up on there, which is good. Um, and then once you've kind of played around with that and you've done what you can with the with the song, in whichever way you want to, you know, translating lyrics, etc. Um, you can look at, look out for things like interviews. Can you find more about the artist? Do they have a Wikipedia page? Then you've got some reading material. And, you know, you can kind of learn more about the song, about the act through all of these means. And then if actually you're like, well, you know what? I'm learning Swedish and the song's in English. Then you can look back through the years. Is there anything previously that that country entered that's in the language and do the same sort of thing. Or even the songs in English, but that person, do they have any other songs in Swedish or in the language that you're learning? So there's lots of ways that you can go expansive, kind of beyond just, well, the song's in English, so it sucks, there's nothing. There's there's always something. Um, and on a, a wider point. scale from from that, also thinking about like, can you find 
more about the the broadcast like you mentioned about like the way you know you used to watch this when you were younger and I did too and in the UK it's very famous because it was Terry Wogan and then Graham Norton and the narration is always a real fun part of that can you find like who commentates this in the broadcast in the country of a lang- that speaks a language you're learning you know are, are they serious with it are they entertaining with it what's that like um can you find clips on youtube of that that you can listen to and and see if you can understand and enjoy so there's loads of ways that you can think beyond just the event itself Mm. um but also in terms of like lessons either bringing these topics to your lessons and to discuss with your teacher if you're a teacher bringing them to discuss with your students a few big questions, Kirsten, that I think could could be quite controversial. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Should there be a language regulation? Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, yes. Good one. Good, really good talking point and discussion starter. We mentioned the big five. What about this one? Who should pay for Eurovision? Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. Nice, nice, nice. Should it be the big five if they never win and they always kind of suck? Is there political voting? Oh yes, is there political voting? A classic topic. What happens if San Marino wins? I mean, obviously, probably Italy hosts it, but it's a fun discussion point. Indeed. What happens? Great opportunity. Australia conditional. Yeah, there you go. What happens if Australia wins? (laughs) Does everyone get jetted out to Australia, or do the UK end up hosting? Who Who pays for the COVID tests? Who pays for the COVID tests? And then finally, final question, because. We should add, there was a film last year, a Netflix film that you may have seen, dear listeners, with Will Ferrell, with Rachel McAdams, aka Regina George, about Eurovision. And that tied in with the fact that Flowrider will literally be on stage, hopefully, at this year's event. Plus the fact that, I don't know if you know this, Kirsten, but I read an article on the official Eurovision site that there are talks for the American Song Contest with different states competing in a Eurovision-style event. Whoa. So the question is, should the USA join? <gasps> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Controversial. So there's loads of ways that you can take mm-hmm. this and open it up for, for quite a fun, relatively lighthearted discussion. Indeed. And as you mentioned, the commentary and the narration, it, it also made me think it, that Eurovision is such a cultural cornerstone for so many people in so many countries that you know I mean there's many people out there who don't care about it but you may well have a really good time with your exchange partner who might be from your target country so they might be from Italy they might be from Spain Poland Czechia you know you know wherever they're from if it's if it's within the reach of Eurovision see what they can remember about what it was like growing up um, see whether it played a role in in their lives and actually talk about the narration like Lindsay mentioned the narration because I think it reflects on how the contest is perceived culturally mm-hmm. in the country and in a way actually reflects on how how the country feels about, um, I don't know, like something like the flavor of the country. So I'm thinking, I'm really comparing in my head Germany, very serious. We're trying to actually discuss the musical merit of these ridiculous songs and these ridiculous performances. Whereas compared to English, which the English, England, UK commentary, 
for me, it was a shock when I moved countries because I'd never <laughs> heard a humorous commentary before. And the commentary, the main selling point of the commentary in the UK broadcast is the humor. It is funny. Like not, it's not slapstick, but it's this sort of sarcastic eye rolling, you yeah. know, it's, it's so British. And I think further to that, it's like Germans like to take stuff seriously, where, where Brits like to sort of pretend they don't care. And I think that alone, you know, if you dig into that, maybe maybe what is the French commentary like, etc. It'd be really, it'd be a really interesting discussion on what does that tell you about the people in that country and how, how they interact. Yeah, definitely. And you've just made me think, actually, that Ashley said the other day, he always notices that he always likes looking for Germany in the uh, when they do the voting because they always like everyone joins from like this little green screen room right of like the Eiffel Tower in the background of the French vote and all of this and like with Germany there's always like a street party going on oh yeah 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 oh, I wonder if they're doing it this year but it's it's huge in Germany yeah I remember this time that I watched it with Christian and I mean I'm glad I moved to Britain when I did um, because. The introduction of watching Eurovision with friends, with my family, um, came very much to the at the same time as the introduction of the concept of the drinking game in my <laughs> in my life. So I got to enjoy the, the Eurovision drinking game concept. Um, even if you don't drink alcohol, I think it's quite fun because it makes you look out for the kind of Eurovision tropes. So if you want to look out for things like like just don't pro tip that don't look out for lasers but any kind of overly elaborate performance or dancers that seem to be doing something that's got nothing to do with anything or you know just all this kind of stuff or drone footage in recent years it's always been like drone footage of some kind of city where it's just like the host city if you can look out for that kind of thing you just have this fun experience so I just had this experience where I went to my friend's house, we watched Eurovision, we basically had a party and laughed about lots of it. And it was the year that Lordi, previously mentioned mm. Finnish monster rockers, were performing. I really enjoyed it because of the the over-the-topness of the performance. <laughs> the next day I phoned my mum and we were chatting and she was outraged because she felt like it didn't treat the Eurovision Song Contest with respect. Wow, that's really interesting. Because she was so serious, because she takes it really seriously. And she came up at a time, you know, in like the 70s when I think it was taken much more seriously, maybe. Okay, definitely do not watch your German entry this year then. <laughs> I beg of you. Is it funny or is it just, is it, does it take itself very seriously? It doesn't take itself seriously. It's just not a great song. I can't, and it, it, it's a lot. It's a lot. I'm here for it. I'm, I mean, I'm here for <laughs> sitting through it as it comes on. <laughs> Just kind of enjoying the, the magic. So listeners, viewers, uh, viewers? No, you're not viewing us. You're viewers of Eurovision, hopefully, in the future. Um, just a quick reminder, this is on the 22nd of May. It's the grand final and it's going to be at 9pm Central European Summertime. And I believe you can now watch it on YouTube as well. So even if you're in the US of A, if you wanted to spend your day watching crazy Europeans being being their very best and very worst all in the same room with lots of lasers and glitter, then this is absolutely where we would love to direct you. And it's a multilingual festival this week, this year as well. Uh, Lindsay, anything we've missed about why Eurovision 
what it what it stands for, what it means for a language learner and for everybody? I don't think so. I think we've we've covered everything. Awesome. Well, now that you are so well educated, I think it's time for a quiz. Okay, I'm ready. The first Eurovision Song Contest in 1956 included seven countries. Lindsay, how many songs were performed in English? Ooh, okay. I'm going to guess one. Final answer? Just from the UK. Final answer. None of them were English-speaking countries and no songs were performed in English. We weren't in the first one? Not a founding member. Wow. Not the most European uh, continent-loving country this is sometimes, you know? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, there, there was a, a brentry at I some point. I see how we got to where we are. <laughs> <laughs> so question number two: What is the motto of the twenty twenty one Eurovision Song Contest? Oh, I want to know, and I don't. Um, connecting, it's got to be something very subtly COVID related, right? It is like, actually singing without masks. <laughs> It's not quite as literal as that. It is. <laughs> it's open up. Open up. Open up. What? Open your mouth for the COVID test to go in. <laughs> I don't know. It's just the the open up borders again. Open up society again. I don't oh, know. Okay. Open That's up. Quite good. Open up your heart to to Europe. Question number three: Which country has competed in the most Eurovision Song Contests overall? Okay, so if we weren't a founding member, then I'm going to assume mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. France. Close is Deutschland. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Why oh, do you take it so seriously? <laughs> Crikey. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we, we, yeah. Try, we try, we try. Okay, question number four. Which of these is a real show related to Eurovision? Option number one, so this is multiple choice. Is it mm-hmm. Farmer's Eurovision Contest? Is it Eurovision Choir or is it Eurovision Boot Camp? Okay, I'm pretty certain on this. Okay. It's Eurovision Choir. Ding, 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 ding. You are correct. You are correct. It's Eurovision Choir. The other ones I made up. Um, There is also a junior European... It's junior. There's junior, yes, um, because... Fun fact. Oh, hang on. I'm going to bring this later. Because foreshadowing for question seven so let me let me bring that in later there is a junior eurovision song contest useful knowledge for later which country question number five <laughs> did celine dion represent in 1988 oh okay was it france or was it switzerland i don't think it was luxembourg or belgium so we know she sang in french i'm gonna say switzerland Bing, 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 correct. Yay. Well done. She oh. did She did represent Switzerland. So that's at the moment two out of five. Excellent, excellent. Which is the score I give the Eurovision Fire Saga movie on Netflix. I thought, oh. it's rubbish, Lindsay. Oh, but it's good fun. They did the song along. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I gave it points for the Eurovision feel and footage. Yeah. But it's rubbish. Okay, question. Oh. <laughs> it was my my opinion. I was caught. I don't know. I was I was in for it to be good. It does have amazing footage of Iceland, a beautiful country. Maybe that's just why they filmed it. 
Maybe. So they could get to go to Iceland. And a really good Sigur Ross, my favourite Sigur Ross song in the um, uh, Svengengler, my favourite Sigur Ross song in the soundtrack. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Question number six, right? Right. Oh, no. I've, okay, I foreshadowed this heavily. Which new rule change has been introduced in 2021 to make the contest more COVID secure? Oh, can I remember? Something to do with backing singers, pre-recorded backing singers. Correct! Pre-recorded Yay. backing singers or pre-recorded backing vocals are now allowed at the event. And that's a completely new rule change that's never been before. Question number seven. What is the minimum age for a performer at Eurovision? Ooh. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. See, junior feels like it should end at 16. But also, is 16 too young for Eurovision? I'm going to go 18. Mm, the minimum age for a performer at Eurovision is correctly intuited 16. 16. 16. Mm-hmm. There was a winner oh. in 1987, I believe, who was just 13, I want to say years old or 14 years old. And in 1989 in particular, they had a big controversy because two performers were just 11 and 12. So after wow. that, they decided not having any of this. We're doing a minimum age. The minimum age is 16 to perform in the Europe- Eurovision Song Contest in Concours Eurovision de la Chanson, which I always thought was called Grand Prix Eurovision de la Chanson, but turns out it's Concours, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> oh. this, this episode is heavily supported by Wikipedia, by Newsround and by... <laughs> And by Eurovision.tv, uh, where you can find out so much more about the Eurovision Song Contest. So, Lindsay, that's three out of seven. Well done. You that's are not too bad. I'll take it. A true European carrier of the flag. <laughs> and with that, we are coming to a conclusion. And this episode, as this episode comes out, we are getting ready for Eurovision Song Contest. Now, Lindsay, if our listeners are watching Eurovision this weekend. Is there any way that they can connect? Are you hosting the usual live discussion? Yes. So how does that work? On Twitter, you can join in a conversation with other linguistically minded Eurovision viewers with the hashtag EuroLangParty. Excellent. So head over to Twitter on the 22nd, hashtag EuroLangParty. L-A-N-G party. Mm-hmm. Lindsay's going to be there and I will be there. Our Twitter handles respectively are at LD Languages for Lindsay and I am at The Fluent Show on Twitter. And we are so, so looking forward to your feedback, your Eurovision stories. Tell me how you feel about Eurovision, all those hot potatoes and talking points. <laughs> Please feel free to send an email and just get in touch and let us know. If you enjoyed this episode, we are so excited and so looking forward to Eurovision 2021. And I think it's now time to wrap it up. What do you think, Lindsay? I think so. Yeah, In the spirit of bilingual French and Englishness, <laughs> I think I can manage a goodbye. C'est le revoir, le revoir de moi, au revoir et au revoir de Lindsay. Au revoir. Thank you for listening to The Fluent Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting the show by leaving a review in your podcast app or even becoming a member of our Patreon community where our supporter perks include a secret feed full of added show notes and a VIP option where you can get priority answers to your listener questions on the podcast. 
Don't forget that you can send us your language questions and feedback to hello at fluentlanguage.co.uk or find us on Twitter at The Fluent Show or Instagram hashtag The Fluent Show. We're always so excited to hear from you and read every message and review. See you next week.